Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, we're talking about how to choose inspiring exam pieces with Joanna Shiro. beautiful teachers. Today we're joined by the lovely Joanna Scheel, who is one of our staff writers and editors at Vibrant Music. Her most recent article just came out today on the Colourful Keys blog, and it's all about choosing inspiring exam repertoire for our students. First of all, Joanna, welcome to the show. Since it's your first time here, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your teaching background? Yeah, sure. I've been learning music since I was five. Um, but uh, I'm mostly actually self-taught as a musician, which I think has kind of kind of helped me inform my teaching quite a bit. I have been teaching for 13 years now, and I just started learning how to teach on the job. I was never really shown what to do. I was never even really trained as such by the school that I started working for. So it's been this kind of long journey of learning how to teach. And I teach all kinds of classes, I teach group, teach one-to-one, I do workshops, but now I'm, my studio is mostly online since the pandemic, everything's moved online and I'm really enjoying that as well. So yeah, that's a little bit about my teaching background. Wonderful. So what was your own experience with exams growing up? Did you do any? Did you enjoy preparing for them if you did? Yeah, so I mean, like I said, I started when I was five and I actually started learning in a really, really small group. I started learning recorder like most children and we learned in a really small informal group. So we did lots of informal kind of ensemble stuff and uh, lots of performances. And we did, we had really informal exam experiences. So they would be, we we called them rainbow recorders. So we would do them at the end of every year and I'd want to collect every color. And I don't remember ever kind of I remember it being a marker of achievement and a celebration of what we had learned rather than something that we were working towards so this this was kind of my first early exam experience as such it was quite a fun sort of little marker at the end of the year and I remember just playing like three pieces probably that I'd learned I didn't actually take my first proper formal exam until I was about 10 when my teacher decided to retire I remember it being a big kind of formal experience. I remember it being quite an important thing. And we went to, you know, that kind of very old traditional building. I was told to like knock on the door and wait for the examiner to let me in. It was a very kind of grand occasion. 
and that was it really i didn't really take any more exams i we stopped i stopped recorders with her i picked up the keyboards because my brother had a keyboard lying around and i think i'm a little bit of an unusual student in that i was very very self-motivated and intrinsically motivated to learn music and i don't know whether it was from those early experiences of very informal music making and you know in ensemble stuff playing with friends and playing in orchestras and things that really kicked it off for me I don't know but the next exam I took was 14 for my piano exam and that was grade two and that was it I didn't do any more exams went to university and that was my next exam experience so yeah no I didn't really do the grades or anything like that growing up yeah did you feel like you had any kind of disadvantage or any difference I guess in university versus I assume a lot of your classmates went through the traditional exam system Well, I went to a contemporary music school, so that was a little bit different. But there were some musicians there, and mainly it depends on the instrument as well. So, you know, musicians that were playing guitar or bass wouldn't have gone through the grades in the same traditional way that uh, musicians that were playing saxophone in the horn section, they they would have probably done the grades, and maybe even piano, I think. It's a mixed bag. Some of the pianists there were more self-taught. Some of them had had private tuition and singing, obviously, as well. And many of the vocalists didn't take exams either. So that was an interesting experience. But my master's was a little bit different. It was a bit more academic. So there were many, a few more kind of traditional, like, great musicians there too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So for this article, you chose the word inspiring, expiring exam pieces. So you can talk about why you even chose that particular adjective and what counts as an inspiring piece to you. I think it's important to, if you're going to do exams, (laughs) it's already quite a stressful environment. I think it's a lot of pressure to get things right and you're going to be judged at the end of it and given a score and it's make or break you know you're either going to pass or you're going to fail (laughs) so it's quite a high pressure environment so I think it's important that we choose pieces that our students connect with and actually enjoy rather than it being pieces that are you're going to challenge them or make them grow as musicians obviously that that might happen too, but I don't think we should specifically choose it for those things. And I, I think actually exams, they can open you up to repertoire that maybe you wouldn't normally play. Like, you know, we wouldn't necessarily play a piece from our method book in an exam or a performance book that's being made by teachers for students. You know, perhaps they're, they're outside composers that are not working with a student in mind, they're working with a piece in mind, like a, a piece of art. Not that there, there aren't really well written, beautiful pieces just for teachers. So I think it can expose students to some different kind of repertoire that maybe they don't encounter in their average piano lesson. So yeah, yeah. I agree. So let's talk about some of the most common pitfalls with exam pieces and maybe how teachers can avoid them. Can you explain what you mean by broccoli pieces? I think some teachers might get this as soon as we say the term, but what do you mean by it? (laughs) I've done this so much in the past. I have one particular student in mind when I say this, but um, there are some pieces that are, you know, are just really good for students to learn. And I know for myself, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but in England, in the UK, we have 
ABRSM is like our top exam board and you have to choose an A piece, you have to choose a B piece and you have to choose a C piece. And I always hated and avoided the A pieces and the yeah. A pieces are the, the Baroque period. Um, so, and so for me, my broccoli pieces are like the Baroque periods and I know they're really good for polyphonic playing and uh, all of that stuff, but yeah, they're really not my bags. But so I know that some students wouldn't necessarily choose pieces like that, but I know that they are really good for a pianist to know and to learn. Yeah, just pieces like that, pieces that maybe your student doesn't enjoy, but you know are really good for them. There's some concept or some technicality in that piece that you would like to expose your student to or you want them to practice more. That would be a broccoli piece. And so it's maybe not necessarily a piece a student would choose, but it would be really healthy for them to know. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it is list A. So as Joanna said, list A is, is Baroque if you're not used to exam systems. We actually don't have three lists until we get to grade six. That's one of the differences in our local Irish exams. We just have like one book of six pieces up till grade five and we choose three of those. But yes, from grade six on, you're forced into doing a Baroque piece. And it was always my least favorite as well. It was my teacher's favorite. <laughs> so she was always trying to tell me how wonderful Bach was. But I mean, some of it sunk in, but I still didn't enjoy <laughs> working on those pieces as much. So I think avoiding making too many of the pieces broccoli pieces, as you say. But that's maybe one good thing of exams. Like if a student is motivated to do that exam, they are forced into doing a list A. And otherwise they might avoid it completely. So I guess you could see it either way that some teachers would say, well, we should try and convince them why those are so wonderful. But I think it is hard to discover why they're so wonderful without doing them, you know? So, For yeah. sure. It's something I definitely appreciate is sort of coming back to kind of as an older or adult. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I talk about this a lot. People who've listened for a while might have heard me harp on about this. But why do you think that we shouldn't use an exam syllabus? as a curriculum? What's the difference and why shouldn't we just take the syllabus and make it our curriculum? Because it's really, I always see exams, maybe it comes back to this early experience that I had with exams as well, but it's always been a marker, like a, a little note of how I'm doing in a particular time. And it's not complete, it's, it's just a list of scales and it's a list of piece, three pieces, just three pieces. And so it can be really easy to get trapped in the cycle of just doing those three pieces and nothing else. And it's like, you know, when we think about how we learn a language, how we learn to speak and how we learn to write, we speak. We just speak for like the first two years. Maybe we learn some phonics, some words, and then we start putting it all together. We start to read books and then we start to write poetry and explore writing our own kind of coming up. Even then we're coming up with our own songs or coming up with our own little jokes and things like that in language so why shouldn't the same be true of music and you never expect to like learn how to read with just three books you you have a huge library of books to choose from and you're constantly every week getting a new book to practice your reading same thing with music so we can be really restricted in that syllabus with just those three pieces oh scales they're important, but, uh, you know, what does a scale mean? What does it mean to play a scale? What does it mean to actually compose with the scale or improvise with the scale? Like, why are we learning scales? It's such a removed musical thing. You know, it doesn't test those creative skills. It doesn't test, like, are you a good composer? Are you an improviser? Uh, do you really understand 
you know what what it means to play in a baroque style do you really know what it means to play in a classical style all of these big things are kind of left out and so exams really they're i think they're i really enjoy exams i really enjoy the academic process but they're really for me just a celebration a little marker at the end of the year rather than the complete meal of music so yeah absolutely and i think they only can be that when we're really careful about what student is ready for a certain exam level and i know this is something that many teachers especially news teachers but some more experienced teachers too just really struggle to get that leveling right they start a student on a piece and then halfway through or after weeks of working on it realize this is just too hard or this is too easy and it's just kind of a waste of our time in a way not that music is ever a waste but do you have any ways of making sure that a student is at the right level or any kind of guidelines you give yourself? It's really tricky. I think I'm still kind of figuring it out myself and every student is really different. Like sometimes I'll enter or I'll start preparing a student that I think is ready and then you know something comes up in a piece that then they're just not quite there yet and you have to sort of learn or practice some concepts a little more but I think for me it's looking at the music itself and making sure that they understand or they've come across most of the concepts in that piece already that it's nothing really new and it might I would never I think it's always good to choose a piece that is at their level perhaps might be slightly easier than their level rather than something that is beyond them or is going to push them to I think an exam shouldn't be something that is a uh, something that is gonna they're gonna have to practice like learn something new for I think like really if they have to really stretch themselves it's probably not the right level you know because I want exams to be a positive experience as well and like I said it's a marker of their achievement of where they're at and this can be like coming back to an earlier point this can be the temptation with an exam as well as to sort of to push a student to learn what to practice because it is a performance occasion as such but it's a very different kind of performance occasion it's one that's kind of being marked and so we need to like take that into account so yeah rhythm for example so just making sure that they're they're aware of all the different kind of rhythms in the piece and they've experimented with them key signature probably things like that concepts like that I mean patterns can they recognize the patterns in the music are they even ready to play that length of piece you know like are they ready to play two pages or one pages when they've just been doing like two lines of music because that can be really overwhelming for a student yeah it's a really easy one to miss as a teacher is the stamina you're looking at it thinking that's very playable to the student but they've never done something beyond one page and it's three pages long it's going to be really tough for them to keep up that stamina for the whole piece yeah for sure definitely yeah terminology is really important like do they actually understand the different dynamics is expression things like that articulation so there's a lot of different things one thing i use i do use the exam syllabus as a guide I actually use a different exam board to ABRSM now. I use a really flexible one. And in this one, we can enter our own repertoire, our own pieces, or even enter a student's composition if they want to. And they have like a free choice section on their website, which has like a list of the syllabus requirements so that when you are entering a free choice piece, you can kind of see if it meets the marks. So that's also a really good guide. So if you have something like that from your exam boards, that's really useful. Yeah, I'm sure people listening will be curious. What's the name of the exam board you're using? Oh, it's Music Teachers Board. 
MTD. Board. I think it's global, yeah. And I just do it in my lessons because I teach remotely. I just do the exam with the student in the lesson. So for some kids, it's really, really great, you know, that just we just do it whenever we're ready in the lesson. Yeah, I looked into it when I was reading your article and I hadn't heard of it. Well, I feel like I had heard of it before, but I hadn't looked at it in detail. I feel like it's almost a good, not compromise, but like a halfway point between an exam and not an exam. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's a slightly more relaxed approach to the whole exam process. For sure. But it's still a nerve wracking process. Yeah. You know, the people still, I've had adult students take their exam and they've stumbled and stopped and got really nervous and it's really interesting. But yeah, but, you know, some people do want that gravitas of like going to an old fancy building, having to knock on the door or like sitting in front of an examiner and that's totally fine as well. Yeah. So at the end of the article, you brought up this great point about using exam pieces to spark exploration and to discover composers and things like that. Can you remember a particular piece that you have discovered this way or a composer or maybe a lesser known publisher or something like that that you've discovered through exams? So the biggest one to mind is probably kind of like I had a Chopin kind of exploration in my teens. And I think that's that got sparked off by kind of a mix of things, actually, that I revisited it later in my adulthood as I was preparing students for exams. Yeah, just uh, you know, discovering a prelude and then discovering that there's a whole book of them, looking through them and and figuring out that there's like one or two easy ones and trying to work out like which is the harder ones, figuring out and knowing later that they appear in the later grades as well. So kind of that that could be really interesting. And I've had some colleagues as well say that you know they maybe teach the first. Sometimes there's just the first section of a piece in the exam syllabus and then they like to go on ahead and find the rest of it for their students. So it can kind of spark off in that way. But I think also students, you know, you can see, sometimes they'll learn an exam piece or you'll see that they really like, for example, Einaudi. I know that this comes up in one of the exam syllabi. It's like Einaudi is one of the grade six pieces, I think. And if they really like that, then maybe they'll like Philip Glass. And you can start to connect the dots for them and start to expose them to pieces that maybe they wouldn't have discovered outside of an exam syllabus. I think that can be really interesting, especially if they're divided into the A, the B and the C section. You can start to see what genres of music they really kind of resonate with and start to find composers that they could maybe explore a little bit more. So I think it should be part of a of an exploration point. I mean, there's so much music out there. It can be really hard to know what a student is into. Yeah, it can be a nice starting point. Yeah. And I would say even for teachers who don't do exams, have never done them, aren't sure they ever want to, just look up the syllabi. Like, honestly, most of them are available for free online. And it'll give you this starting point of, okay, these are the leveling criteria. Even if you end up disagreeing with them, it gives you that starting point and starts to give you ideas especially if you look at list C and D of stuff that students might really, really enjoy playing and that you might not discover otherwise or they might not discover. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting about exams with us, Joanna. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really fun. We would love to hear about your experience with exam pieces. Please write me a private message on Instagram. We're at Colorful Keys to tell me about a piece that inspired or perhaps did the opposite.
If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.